Praise the Lord. Amen. It's been good already to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, if you missed uh, the Sunday school lesson, the one tonight from the book of Acts, um, let me just say you need to be here. Amen. Uh, uh, even I oftentimes learn new things and look because uh, Pastor James uh, as, an, as an individual, looks at things a little different than the way I look at it and just brings out things that I said, wow, that's good, amen, praise the Lord. And so you need to be here in Sunday school, be a part of that as well. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Second Samuel, Second Samuel chapter number 17, Second Samuel chapter number 17. We're going to continue uh, in our series of People of the Bible uh, this morning, and to the, today we're going to be looking at a man by the name of Ahithophel. He was a grandfather who would not forgive. Ahithophel, a grandfather who would not forgive. You see, the people in the Bible are real people. They're more than just names in the book. And we read sometimes, particularly names and genealogies to get through the book of, uh, of Chronicles and names and names and names. And we think, oh my goodness, what is this all about? Let me tell you what it's all about. It's about a real person, amen. And you might not know them, and they surely don't know you. You might not even know how to spell their name, let alone pronounce their name, but they're still real people just like you and I. They're people who actually lived, and yes, one day, guess what? All those names that we can't pronounce and we can't spell, one day we'll be able to spell them, one day we'll be able to pronounce them. And if they were born again and you're born again, guess what? You'll see them one day in heaven, amen? And if they're not born again and you're not born again, well, you'll still see them as well, amen? But I don't think you'll have contact with them uh, in hell. I believe that God has allowed their lives to be written down for us in both the Old and New Testament for a purpose. And I believe that purpose is for our learning and is for our admonition. In Romans 15 and verse 4, we find these words, for whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we might through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Paul writes as well in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 11, in the first part of that verse he says this, Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition. So there are many Bible characters that are well known to, to you and I. I think of such great names such as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I think we all could shake our head and say, have I heard about them, Pastor? Some great names like Isaiah, Jan Jeremiah, and Daniel. Uh, think about Jonah as well. We all could probably say, I heard of those before. And not to be left out are Peter, James, and John. And I think of the great, the Apostle Paul uh, writing almost half of the New Testament, uh, New Testament scriptures. But there are many Bible characters that while we recognize their name, we don't know really anything about them. You might even say that they're strangers to us. They're strangers more than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Isaiah, Jeremiah, Limitations, Peter, James, and John, and even the Apostle Paul. And I think one of those lesser known people in the Bible is found here in 2 Samuel chapter number 17. And he's the grandfather by the name of Ahithophel. When we meet Ahithophel, we'll see in just a few moments, he holds a very significant position. He walks with royalty. In other words, we would say this, he has the ear of the king. But then something happened in Ahithophel's life that involved his granddaughter that turned into a very bitter and a very vengeful man. And this thing would ultimately destroy Ahithophel's life. There's really no words that we can uh, speak uh, the kind of love that a grandparent has for the grandchild. And I speak from experience, as do some of you as well. It's been said that grandchildren are the rewards 
for not killing your children while they're growing up, amen. Listen, I believe that, amen, praise God. It's a love that just goes beyond description. And, and when my little grandson says, grandfather, grandfather, oh, it just does my heart good. Last week during Bible school, they were visiting with us, and, and you know, he's uh, just four years old, and he, uh, grandfather has some, some little eye goggles that he can wear in the pool so he could see, and I let him wear them, and boy, he just thought they were the best things in the world. He wouldn't let no one else touch them, no one could play with them, they were grandfather's eye goggles. So I decided that I would get him a pair of eye goggles for Bible camp. Oh, he was grandfather's best buddy. But when we were, when we were in the pool that day, he says, grandfather, watch me, watch me. He stood up on the pool, on the ed- edge of the pool. He put on his little eye goggles, and he got his nose, you know, where he could hold it. Got his always ducks lined up. He said, watch me, grandfather. I said, I'm, I'm watching, I'm watching. He jumped off into the pool, and as he jumped in the pool, he said, grandfather, I love you. Let me tell you, there is not, I would have gave him a million dollars right there if I would have had it. That's kind of love that unless you've been there and done that, you don't even know what I'm talking about. It's a different kind of love than even you have for your children. I want you to understand that when I look at the life of Ahithophel, it's this kind of love that Ahithophel had for his granddaughter and it brought about this bad behavior near the end of his life. And so we find that Ahithophel was a grandfather who would not forgive. And this unforgiveness led to a, a rather tragic and a sad ending of his life. And there have been many good people, maybe even uh, a lot of people, even Christians who have been destroyed by bitterness and the failure to forgive someone or something for what has happened to them. And this is the great lesson that we're going to learn from Ahithophel's life that we need to learn today. So we're going to pray and read this passage of Scripture in just a moment. Then we're going to see Ohithophel, the grandfather who would not forgive. So let's stand as a give respect to the reading of God's Word. Begin reading in Second uh, uh, Samuel chapter number 17. And we'll read just one verse for the sake of time in verse 23. And the Bible said in Second Samuel chapter 17 and verse 23, And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, He saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do love you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the goodness. We thank you, Father, for the time of worship that you already had, giving our tithes and offerings and love gifts and faith promise for these wonderful hymns that we have sung unto you. Father, I pray was a pleasing sacrifice. But now, Father, we get to the most important part of the service, the preaching of the Word of God. I pray, Father, that every heart has already been prepared before they walked in this door. And, Father, they have said to you as they prepared their heart, God, would you, have, uh, would you give me what you have for me today? And, oh, Father, I pray that you would challenge the hearts of these people that are here. Maybe some that are here that never sought forgiveness of your Son, Jesus Christ, for their sin and Father, they're, they're dead in their trespasses and dead in their sins, Father. And you're speaking to their heart even now about their need to seek that forgiveness, to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ in order that they might be saved. And then, Father, for the Christians, would you challenge your heart in this area of forgiveness and unforgiveness? Oh, Father, if there be some that harbor bitterness and resentment and anger, and, Father, literally unforgiveness in their heart toward a, a fellow man, Father, I pray that you would speak to their heart about their need to give that forgiveness, Father, because of what you have done for us. 
And Father, no doubt we have done far worse in our disobedience to you than what others have done to us. And yet, Father, you forgave us, and Father, we need to forgive as well. So, Lord, I pray you be with the other ministries of this church today. I pray your blessings be upon them. Give them fruit for their labor as well. And, Lord, we ask and pray these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I want you to notice, first of all, this morning, the blessing that distinguished Ahithophel's life. The blessing that distinguished his life. If you were to trace Ahithophel's life through the Old Testament, you'll find that his name is constantly associated with the word counsel. As a matter of fact, two times the Bible calls him a counselor. And at least 10 times the Bible makes reference to Ahithophel being a counselor. And when we look at Ahithophel as being a counselor, we see first of all this morning that he was a good counselor, a good counselor. Ahithophel was not an ordinary counselor. As a matter of fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 27 and verse 13, the Bible tells us this, that Ahithophel was the king's counselor. So he wasn't just an ordinary counselor, he was the king's counselor. He was a personal and trusted counselor of none other than King David. Just like the president has some very close and personal counselors that give him advice and give him some instructions, David sought the advice of Ahithophel. Can you imagine what, it, what it, the conversation must have took place, something along this line? David asking Ahithophel, Ahithophel, what would you do in this matter? What would you personally do? What do you think that I need to do? How do you think I should handle this situation that I find myself and the kingdom in? Solomon said in Proverbs 1 in verse number 5, a wise man will hear and will increase in learning, and a man of understanding shall obtain unto wise counsel. Let me help for just a moment. I think it's vitally important that you and I, and God leads us to obtain some spiritual, some good counsel. I thank God uh, down through the years for those pastors and friends of mine uh, that have given me some good godly advice, some spiritual advice when I have asked them down through the years. Because of godly advice, I know that I've been spared a lot of heartache in my ministry. The Bible teaches us that a wise person should seek the advice of godly men. Proverbs 11 and verse 14, the Bible says this, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. In Proverbs 15 and verse 22, the Bible said, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. In Proverbs 24, 6, we find these words, For by wise counsel thou shalt make war. And in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. In case you misunderstood what they said, uh, that in the multitude of counselors, there's safety and wise decisions are often made. David knew that Ohithophel was one he could ask for advice, and he knew that it would be good advice coming from him. But the reason I believe that Ohithophel gave good counsel was secondly for this reason. He was a godly counselor. You know, it's one thing to be a good counselor. It's another thing to be a godly counselor. In 2 Samuel 16 and verse 23, the Bible says this, And of the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired of the oracle of God. So it was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and Absalom. Did you take notice of what this verse says? The counsel that Ahithophel gave was as though it came directly from God. 
we find that Ahithophel advice was seen by others as a word from God. Wow, that's powerful. I wonder if people whom you give advice to would say, that's the word of God. That comes from the word of God. His advice was seen by others as the word of God himself. When he had to say was to be considered as reliable. It was considered to be trustworthy as the word of God. It was as, it was as if God spoke through him to them. People can give you all kinds of advice today, but the, his advice was not only good, it was godly advice. He was a man who had spiritual insight in the word of God and, and gave that out to those that asked him. Here's the truth. There are times when we need godly advice from other people. And when we seek advice, we should always seek advice from, from those who we know are going to give us godly advice. Again, there's nothing wrong with good advice. But most of the time, we don't just need good advice. You and I need some godly advice. There are many counselors out there today who base their advice on humanistic and uh, a worldly viewpoint. And most of their time, their advice, although it would seem good to the world, goes contrary to the teachings of God's word. So I want to caution you, be careful where you take your advice from. Just because it sounds good doesn't mean that it is good. It might not sound good to the world, but it would sound terrible to God and goes contrary to the word of God. The kind of advice that Ahithophel gave had distinguished himself from other people. And when he gave his advice, it was kind of like in the old days, uh, a number of years ago, I'm dating myself now, there was a commercial about an uh, investment company called E.F. Hutton. And it went something like this, when E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone listens. That's the way it was with Ahithophel. When he spoke, people understood it was good advice, but it was godly advice. He was held in high esteem because of his godly advice. Let me just help you for a moment. You don't get to be an advisor to the king by giving bad advice. You don't get to be an advisor to the president of the United States without giving good and prayerfully we would like to say godly advice. And Ahithophel was no difference. As a matter of fact, in Psalms 1 and verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The reason Ahithophel could be a good counselor because he was a godly counselor, and he uh, studied God's word. Well, not only is there the blessing that distinguished Ahithophel's life, but notice secondly, the bitterness that defiled his life. The bitterness that defiled his life. As we begin to take a closer look at Ahithophel's life, we'll see that there was something that happened in his life that left him filled with bitterness. And it had something to do with his granddaughter. Even though Ahithophel was not a very familiar name, most of you have heard of Ahithophel's granddaughter's name. Notice, first of all, the affair that pierced his heart. Now follow me in the Bible for a moment and let's just learn who Ahithophel's granddaughter was. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you this morning, but you listen with your heart. In 2 Samuel 23 and verse number 34, in the last part of that verse, it says this, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gileonite. So we have Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gileonite. So this verse tells us that Ahithophel's son 
was a man by the name of Eliam. Keep that in mind now as I read 2 Samuel 11 and verse 3. And David inquired after the woman. Maybe you got a hint right now who we're speaking about. And David inquired after the woman. After one said, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam? So we find that Ahithophel had a son whose name was Eliam. Eliam had a daughter who, guess what, was named Bathsheba. So to make the long story short, Bathsheba was Ahithophel's granddaughter. And I'm sure that most of you have heard of the story of King David and Bathsheba. She was a woman with whom David committed adultery with. She was the same woman uh, who David had Uriah the Hittite, uh, Bathsheba's husband, killed, sent him to the forefront of the battle and asked the men to withdraw that he might be killed so David's sin of, of adultery would not be found out. But listen, God is not mocked and God is not deceived. And whatsoever man soweth, so shall he also reap. There is no doubt that Ahithophel loved his granddaughter. Now think about that. Put yourself in Ahithophel's shoe now. Think of it as Bathsheba being your granddaughter. Maybe you'll get the setting for uh, this message this morning. Think about how it must have grieved his heart when he heard that Uriah the Hittite was killed in the forefront of the battle. Think about it as first as perhaps he stood by his daughter's side, his granddaughter's side, and he put his arm around her and they stood by the grave of Uriah the husband. Think about it. Uh, his grief was her grief, and her pain was his pain. He, he, he felt her pain. He felt her grief. He loved his granddaughter. No doubt he thought as well of Uriah the Hittite being a mighty man of valor. And that might have bought a small measure of comfort to him. But at some point, guess what happened? His sadness turned to shock when he discovered that his granddaughter had an affair with King David. So now again, put yourself in Ahithophel's shoe. How would you feel if you found out that your granddaughter had an affair with the king or an affair with the president of the United States or the, the governor uh, of the state of, of Virginia? So as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see, first of all, the anger that polluted his heart. The anger that polluted his heart. From the Bible account, it would seem that Ahithophel blamed David for what happened. That's the way it is with parents, isn't it? That's the way it is with grandparents a lot of the time. Listen, we blame everybody and anybody except our own whom we love. It's not our children's fault. He threw the rock first, but he missed him. But the other guy threw the rock and it missed him and hit the window. So it's his fault. It's always their fault. It's never our children's fault. We blame everybody except our own loved ones. And it seemed that Ahithophel was no different. And Ahithophel's mind, it was David that seduced his innocent granddaughter. It was David that enticed her into an uh, adulterous affair. It was David that conceived that, that plot and arranged to have his son-in-law's death on the battlefield. It was David that brought reproach upon his granddaughter's name and upon his family name as well. And as far as Ahithophel was concerned, David was to blame for it all. He soon forgot this statement it takes two to tango. And although King David did cry out to bring Bathsheba to him, I believe she was a willing partner. She could have refused and might have meant her death, 
But I, I believe by her refusal, David would have took it as a sign from God and said, oh my, life would have been different for King David and Bathsheba. Ahithophel allowed those feelings in his heart to fester. And that had to fester into burning rage, which led to resentment deep inside of his heart. No doubt he was thinking, how could David, whom the Bible says, a man after God's own heart, do such a thing? How could he disgrace the Lord God of Israel by committing adultery? But yet, how could David do such a thing to him and his granddaughter and their family? After all, wasn't he supposed to be a trusted friend and a counselor to the king? How could he do that to his trusted counselor? How could he betray their years of friendship and disgrace his granddaughter by his unrestrained lust that he acted upon? The man who had given King David good, solid, godly advice now begins to give some godless advice. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 16, if you want to follow along, beginning in verse number 20 through 21, 2 Samuel 16, verses 20 through 21, then said Absalom unto Ahithophel, give counsel among you what I should do. And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, go into thy father's concubines, which he had left to keep the house. And all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred by your father, and then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. If you remember kind of the background of the situation, Absalom really has forced King David from the throne. David now literally is off the throne. He is fleeing for his very life. Absalom, his son, by the way, is trying to kill his dad or the King David. So when Advice, uh, when, when Absalom asked Ahithophel for advice, he tells him basically this. He says, commit adultery with your father's concubines. You can't help but read Ahithophel's mind here. It's like he was saying, David, I will see to it that you have reaped what you have sowed. Ahithophel, here is a man that's filled with anger. He's a bitter man. He wants to hurt the man that he had helped and gave such good and godly advice for for all those years. You know, let's not be so hard on Ahithophel because for you and I, it's just as easy to become bitter when we've been hurt by other people. It's easy to be filled with anger. It's easy to be filled with resentment when we feel someone has done some wrong to us. Sometimes when we get so angry that revenge is the only thing that we want. It's the only thing on our mind. It's the only thing that drives our person. You see, anger leads to resentment, and resentment leads to bitterness. It's a downward cycle that will lead you to destruction if you don't break the cycle. But you can stop that cycle at the very first um, notion of bitterness deep inside your soul. T.S. Rendell defined bitterness as this. The radioactive fallout that contaminates everything in life after there has been a failure of the core of our being to come to grips with life disappointments, discouragements, or defeats. And it's the atmosphere produced in us internally when we meditate over life circumstances and decide that we have not been given a fair deal. You know, if you and I are honest with ourselves, we're just like Ahithophel. We let 
What happens to us make us bitter, which leads to resentment, which causes us to do things that we should not do. The writer of Hebrews gives us a warning about becoming bitter. Matter of fact, Hebrews 12 and verse 15, the Bible says this, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any, get this now, root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Here we find, I believe Paul's the writer of the book of Hebrews. He's saying, be very careful. He said, don't even allow the root of bitterness to spring up in your heart because he knows what, it, what the end will be. And if we're not careful, we'll let that happen to us and we'll allow our heart to be filled with anger and bitterness, which leads to resentments. Well, not only is there the blessing that distinguished Ahithophel's life, but notice the bitterness that defiled his life. Then notice, lastly, the behavior that destroyed his life. The behavior that destroyed Ahithophel's life. Sir Thomas Fuller said this, Malice has a strong memory. Malice is defined as a desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering to another because of hostile impulse or out of a deep-seated meanness. Boy, when we think about that definition of malice, out of a deep-seated meanness, gives a new meaning to, uh, to revenge, doesn't it? Out of a deep-seated meanness. And I'd be the first to admit it's hard to forgive and even harder to forget those who have done us wrong. There's a, a, a saying that someone once said, the action of others can become a companion that goes to bed with us each night and gets up with us each morning and walks with us throughout the day. Let me tell you, anger leads to bitterness, leads to anger, and anger leads to resentment. In his book, Lee, The Last Years, Charles Braceland Flood writes this after the Civil War about Robert E. Lee. One day, Robert E. Lee was visiting a Kentucky lady who had taken him to the remains of a very large oak tree in front of her house. And she bitterly cried to the general that its limbs and trunk had been destroyed by federal artillery fire. She looked at Lee for a word of condemning the North or at least some kind of sympathizing words about the loss of her tree. But after a brief, silent moment, Lee said, Cut it down, dear madam, and forget it. Cut it down, dear madam, and forget it. And that's what Ahithophel should have done. But he couldn't forgive, and he wouldn't forget, my friend. Notice this morning, his bitterness dominated him. The bitterness in his heart so dominated his life that all he thought about was getting even. Notice in 2 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, let me now choose out 12,000 men that I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed and will make him afraid. And that all the people that are with him shall flee. And notice what he said. And I, and notice that word again, and I will smite the king only. 
here just a, a, a few days or a few hours or a week or so before he was giving King David good and godly advice. And now he tells his son Absalom, who is usurping the throne that God has ordained King David to be in, he said, give me about 12,000 men. And he said, I tell you what, I'm going to go and I'm going to hunt him out. When they hear about me coming, they're all going to flee. I'm going to find King David and I will kill him only. Listen, there's only one thing on Ahithophel's mind, and that is revenge. His bitterness had become the dominating force in his life, motivating him to seek revenge. I wish I could tell you that, that you're never going to get hurt. I wish I could tell you that someone here in this church is never going to disappoint you. I can't promise you that. But if I did promise you that, guess what? It would just be a big, bold, flat lie. But I can promise you this one thing. When you get hurt, if you don't deal with it, it will consume you, and it will dominate your life like it did Ahithophel's. Bitterness can dominate our life to the point that we're consumed with revenge and we're consumed with getting even, even making someone pay for what they did to hurt you. That's not a life that God expects us to live. When bitterness fills your heart, it drives out the feeling of joy. And listen, this is what happens most of the time. The person that you're sideways with doesn't even know you're sideways with them. They're going on their happy, merry way down the street enjoying life, and you're filled with anger, and you have bitterness and resentment. You have no joy. You look at them, and they're happy-go-lucky, serving the Lord, praise God, raising their hands. And you look at them, and you say, how can they do that? Because you're harboring anger and bitterness leading to resentment in your life. When that happens, we lose all sense of what is right in the eyes of God. And we're consumed with doing what is right in our own eyes and not what's right in the eyes of God. We need to take our eyes off ourselves and see uh, what God would have us to do. A heart that's been dominated by bitterness can turn a sweet, godly person into an evil, vengeful person. That's what happened to Ahithophel. Well, not only do we see his Bitterness dominated, but notice something else. His bitterness destroyed him. Ahmad Nikolai, he was professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical University, wrote this about Sigmund Freud, who died when he was 83 years old. He described him as a bitter and disillusioned old man. Tragically, this physician, considered one of the most influential thinkers of our time, had little compassion for the common person. Freud wrote this in 1918. I have found little that is good about human beings on the whole. In my experience, most of them are trash, no matter whether they are publicly subscribed to this or that ethical doctrine or to none at all. You see, Sigmund Freud died without one friend. It's well known that he broke away all his friendship and all his fellowship with his followers, the other scholars that he worked with at university. The end of Sigmund Freud's life was a bitter end. And as we come to the end of the life of Ahithophel, we find that his life had a bitter ending as well. In our text, we find that Ahithophel asked Hushai what he thought about Ahithophel's recommendation. I already know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Dave, who in the world was Hushai? Hushai was Hushai the Actite, was David's friend. And during Absalom's rebellion, he met David on the way to Mount Olivet. 
In 2 Samuel chapter number 15, we find that he was there. And when David met the king, I mean, when, uh, when Hushai met King David, the Bible said he rent his clothes and he took dirt and placed it upon his earth. And by the way, that was a sign of submission and humility to the king that God had raised up. So in their conversation, in verse 33, we find that David suggested, he said, I'm going to go with you. And Hushai said, King David, I'm going to go with you. But King David suggested that if he went with him, he'd just be a burden. You see, Hushai was an elderly man. Then King David made a very wise, uh, uh, a very wise uh, statement to Hushai. He then suggested that he might help the king by staying behind and becoming one of Absalom's wise man as an advisor to the court. And that way he could find out what Absalom was doing. You see, Hosea loved David enough uh, really literally to risk his life for him in 2 Samuel 15 and verse 37 and in chapter 16 and verses 16 through 19. We find him doing that. Hosea is risking his life for, for King David. We move on to 1 2 Samuel chapter number 17 and we find this in verse 7. And Hosea I said unto Absalom, the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. You see, beginning in, in 2 Samuel 17, verses 1 through verse number 7, Absalom asked for, for some advice. And he asked for some advice from Ahithophel, and Ahithophel gives him that advice. But then he asked some advice as well from from, uh, from David's man inside the palace, Hushai. And the Bible says and teaches us that Absalom preferred Hushai's advice over Ahithophel's advice. Now, if you were to study that out, you were to find out and say, well, Pastor Dave, why do you do that? Uh, Ahithophel's advice probably was the most prudent advice. But the reason that Absalom uh, preferred Hushai's Hushai's advice over Ahithophel's advice is because David, back two chapters before, prayed that God would turn his advice to naught. And that's exactly what happened in 2 Samuel 15 and verse number 31. And as a result of David's prayer in chapter 15, now in verse number 17, the counsel of Ahithophel was rejected. Well, the question we want to ask ourselves is, how did Ahithophel respond to the rejected counsel. Look at 2 Samuel 17 and verse 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose, got him home to his house, to the city, put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. You see, Ahithophel was so filled with rage and anger and bitterness that he couldn't bear the thought of David not paying for his wrongdoing. He couldn't live any longer without revenge. Let me just stop here for a moment and say, suicide is never a way out. What he did was wrong. It was a sin. Uh, he committed murder. Who did he murder? He murdered himself. Amen. God is both the author and giver of life. And so let me tell you today that suicide is not the answer. What he did was wrong. And we should not follow his example. But oftentimes when people who are not living for Christ the way they ought to get so down in such despair, they can't see the glorious light of the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ that could lift them out from where they are. So he couldn't live without revenge. In Romans 12 and verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, neither give place for wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Let me tell you what, God 
took care of David far greater than Ahithophel, far greater than Absalom could ever have done for what David's sin he did. And Ahithophel had this philosophy, it was something like this. If David could not die for what he did, I could not live. An unforgiving spirit has destroyed many of people's life. The inability for, to forgive is eventually going to destroy a person, if not physically, certainly spiritually, and definitely emotionally. Horace Bushnell said this, Forgiveness is man's deepest need, and get this now, and his highest achievement. An unknown, uh, unknown author said this, Doing injury puts you below your enemy. Revenge Revenging one makes you even with him, but forgiving someone you sets above him. I don't know about you. I don't want to be, be below someone who has done me wrong. I don't even want to revenge and get even with them. I want to take the high road and forgive them. That sets me above them. William Arthur Ward said this, Life lived without forgiveness becomes a prison. And that's what Ahithophel was. He was the free man who was still in prison. An unforgiving spirit will eventually destroy a person emotionally, spiritually, and sometimes it's sad to say physically. And as we close this morning, let me ask you this question. Is there someone that you, you personally need to forgive or something that you need to forget? Maybe you've been deeply hurt by the actions or words of, somebody, uh, of someone else. Maybe it's a brother or sister sitting in a pew up, uh, in front of you, behind you, to your left or to your right. It makes no difference. Your revenge and your bitterness are not worth the price that it extracts from you. Instead of destroying the other person, guess who's going to be destroyed? You, just like Ohithophel. I'll close with this illustration. Corey Ten Boom likens forgiveness to letting go of a bell rope. We all understand how the bell in the steeple works. You remember that to get the bell ringing, you have to tug once in a while. And once the bell has begun to ring, you merely just maintain the momentum of the bell. As long as you keep pulling, the bell keeps ringing. Corey Ten Boom says forgiveness is like letting go of the rope. It's just that simple. But when you do so, the bell keeps ringing. Momentum is still at work. If you take your hands off the rope, the bell will begin to slow and eventually stop. It is like that with forgiveness. When you decide to forgive, the old feelings of unforgiveness may continue to assert themselves for a while. After all, they have lots of momentum in your life. But if you affirm and, and, and affirm your decision to forgive, that unforgiving spirit will continue to slow and will eventually be still like the bell and the rope. Forgiveness is letting go of the rope of retribution or the rope of revenge. Let me ask you this morning, is there a rope that you need to let go of? If you'll not let go of the rope, then just remember about Ahithophel, the grandfather that would not forgive. It destroyed him, and no doubt, it would destroy you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you, Father, for this message on the life of Ahithophel, the grandfather that could not forgive. And, oh, Father, although we spoke about a grandfather and his love for his granddaughter, and there is no, no love that can match that, 
Father, no doubt in this auditorium this morning, those that are listening by live broadcast this morning, Father, maybe they're not a grandfather, maybe they're just a brother or a sister, a niece, a cousin, maybe, maybe they are a great-grandfather, a great-grandmother, maybe uh, they're a husband or a wife. Oh, Father, maybe they're here today and you have spoken to their heart about their need, Father, just to let go of the rope. And sure, the momentum of that unforgiveness will swing for a while. But with a reaffirmed commitment to forgive, Father, eventually it will be stilled in their spirit. Oh, Father, I pray today that you begin to start a work in people's lives that most need to have it today. Father, may forgiveness be given and may it be received as well. If not, Father, we know that it will destroy uh, you and not them. So, Father, I pray that you would be with your people. Give them strength and comfort to do what's right. Help us not to be like Ahithophel, the grandfather that could not forgive. Let's stand to our feet, please, with every head bowed, every eye.